Welcome to the Bridging History Podcast. My name is Matt Moore. I am a teacher in Mankato, Minnesota. I'm also a member of the Board of Directors for the Minnesota Council for History Education. And with me today is... Eric Beckman. I am a history teacher in living in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'm also on the board of the Minnesota Council for History Education. And it's a very exciting time, Matt, because as you well know, it is eight days. When we're recording, it is eight days until History Fest. That's right. We are a go for History Fest. So, um, so we'll, we'll drop the link in, in the show notes. And uh, if you're listening to this prior to August 11th, sign up, uh, make your way to uh, St. Paul. Come say hi to Eric and I and, and all the great history teachers. We're going to have a, a fair number of former winners of the Gilder Lehrman History Teacher of the Year Award from the state of Minnesota be uh, that they're going to be presenting at this year's conference. So that's pretty cool. So uh, check that out. Yeah. Eric and I, after our last podcast, we were kind of visiting about, you know, things we tried out in the last school year um, that, that we thought worked out okay uh, and we would do again. And so I was telling Eric about this uh, idea that I implemented in the past school year and uh, we thought we'd make a podcast about it. So, uh, so in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about how to deal with like a local controversy in your area. So if you're teaching in a district where maybe you have a, a park, a street, a landmark, a monument um, named after somebody that might be a controversial, how do you wrestle with that issue with your students? And so I was telling Eric, I teach in Mankato and we have a park in our area called Sibley Park named after Henry Sibley. Um, and, uh, and why would that be pro possibly problematic? Yeah. So Henry Sibley played a major role in the U.S.-Dakota War and played a major role in the treaties that led up to the U.S.-Dakota War. And so you know, he, um, he led the militia group that, uh, that you know, went on the uh, offensive against the Dakota in 1862. Um, and then I probably the most controversial thing he did was oversaw the trials uh, at the conclusion of the war that resulted in the, you know, over 300 Dakota received a death sentence as a result of these trials. Uh, so um, <clears throat> not all 300 of those were, were executed, but um, it did lead to the largest mass execution in U.S. history in our town's downtown, in, in downtown Mankato. Um, and right after Christmas in 1862, a large number of Dakota were, were executed downtown. So uh, our, our students, when they come through the school system in Mankato, they, they learn about the Dakota War. Probably the most in-depth is at the sixth grade level. Um, they don't get into the controversy of Henry Sibley there. Um, a lot of the students I get, by the time I get them, their sophomore, junior, senior years, they're well aware of the, I would say, the, the major events of the Dakota War. Um, they know about the hanging, they know about the mass execution, they know about the removal of the Dakota, the land loss, a little bit about the treaties. They know very little about Henry Sibley. And what, what's been happening in our town recently is um, there has been some protests about Sibley Park. And uh, anytime the news covers this, it, it like if there's a news article posted on Facebook about 
a group protesting the, the naming of Sibley Park, it generates a huge comments section. So you can tell that the town is very interested in discussing this issue. And so I was trying to think of a way to like, how do I bring this into my classroom? How do, how do I let my students research this issue and discuss this issue in a, in a mature fashion, right? I didn't, I didn't want to just walk in and say, Hey, what do you guys think about the naming of or renaming of Sibley Park? Should we do it or not? Like, I, right. if you just drop that on them, it's not going to go very well. No, once you yeah. do that, all of a sudden you're living in the comments section. Right. And how many kids would you say are unaware that this controversy exists? Oh, uh, 90 percent. And right. and even higher percentage can't even tell you anything about they, like it couldn't even come up with the name Henry. Like if they, if you ask them who right. Sibley Park's named who's after, Sibley named after, and they're familiar I, I, with the park. I'm not a Mankato guy. It's a very it's, popular park in our right. town, so, so everyone knows where Sibley Park is. You say that every kid has played in it. It's got a little zoo in it. Um, it okay. in a, around the Christmas season, they do a huge holiday lights display okay. there. So it, and it's thousands of people walk through that. Okay. And that's usually when the protests happen. Is when the park is at its busiest right around sure. the holidays. So. Um, that's generally when we see news articles about it, but yeah. So, so if I were to just walk in a class and let's have a debate about Henry Sibley, nobody knows anything about Henry Sibley. So, you know, it, it, that, that discussion would go nowhere quick. Um, and then we would just have students sharing emotions about an issue rather than like, let's look at the historic evidence on that. Right. So a few kids will be like predisposed to change because they assume everything was bad in the past. And yeah. some kids will be predisposed to not changing things because they right. don't want their identity threatened either. And then where are you? Right. So where did you now you found an interesting tool for working through this. Yeah. Matthew, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I, um, I was teaching a, a new elective, our, our, high school offered, I guess you could call it kind of like an ethnic studies elective. We called it race, ethnicity, and civil rights. And I wanted to, I guess, pilot this idea with that elective. And if it went well, I thought I could maybe incorporate it into a, a mainstream U.S. history course in the, you know, when you're covering the U.S. Dakota war in a, in a U.S. history class too. So, um, so yeah, what I did was, uh, you know, I thought about, well, we're not the first community to wrestle with a naming issue of a local landmark. So I, I guess I was most familiar with like Charlottesville, New Orleans, the places that have grappled with uh, Richmond, Virginia too, places that have grappled with like uh, Confederate monuments and and memorials and streets. And so uh, I did some research. Also was watching a film uh, called The Neutral Ground, which was made about, it's a documentary uh, made about the process New Orleans went through to remove four major Confederate monuments and stumbled upon what I thought was a really useful tool to frame a lesson around. So New Orleans developed a commission to investigate renaming basically any major landmark in their town, whether it be a monument or a street school. Um, so the city council created this commission and this commission came up with what I thought were some pretty good criteria to review you know, whether or not a landmark should be renamed. So, a, you know, a citizen of New Orleans could um, have their voice heard at a city council meeting. They could you know, make a case that, a, that a, a landmark should be renamed and then this commission would investigate. And then they use, they use uh, seven criteria to determine and make a recommendation as to whether or not something should be renamed. And I thought, 
this would be a great way we could we could use this criteria then you know they're um they're broad enough that you they don't apply just to new orleans so you could use them wherever you live and apply them to whatever controversial landmark you have in your town uh and so you know there, there's like seven criteria and so it works great you have kind of have like seven discussion questions then you can have with your class and there, there are things like you know what does this the thing that this thing is named after the person it's named after does this person have a connection to white supremacy um how connected are they to this community sometimes we know that towns name things after people um, who were major figures in a community. Other times they're named after people who maybe didn't have a very close connection to a community. Um, how, how strong is the historical evidence about the harm that this person caused? Uh, you know, th those are questions like the commission is going to consider. So, um, so what I then did is I knew like my students background knowledge on Henry Sibley would be kind of shallow. I, Prior to this last couple of years, my background knowledge on Henry Sibley was very shallow. I didn't grow up in Minnesota. Um, so I did a bunch of reading on the U.S. Dakota War, Henry Sibley. I found some books from, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Mary Catherine Wingard has a great book called North Country about, um, you know, kind of the early, early Minnesota history. Um, great sections in there about Henry Sibley. Gwen Westerman's book, uh, Minnesota Makoche, about the history of the Dakota people. Um, and Gary Clayton Anderson has some excellent books about, about uh, Minnesota history and the U.S. Dakota War. So kind of uh, trove through those, pulled, uh, I took notes as I was reading those, kind of compiled all my Henry Sibley notes into like a, a five-page reading, uh, background information about Henry Sibley, gave that to the students, let them read that uh, during a class period and gave them the criteria to explain the criteria before I gave them the reading. Um, and, and then said, you know, think about these criteria as you do the reading, we're gonna have a discussion after everybody's completed the reading. So, so then we, we use the criteria and it allowed for us to have a very structured discussion that didn't, um, I, I, you know, emotions didn't boil over. Uh, you know, I felt like nobody's, nobody's feelings were hurt. Um, you know, students were respecting each other's opinions because it was grounded in, it was grounded in the historic evidence thing that, you know, people's points that they were ma making were connected to these criteria. Uh, and so I, it took what I maybe could be a hot button issue. They might be afraid to talk about with students and, and I gave it a framework that allowed it to be, I think, a smooth, you know, discussion. And that's a great learning experience for, for everybody, you know, for the students, thinking that if if i'm for or against this kind of like why is that like is there a bigger principle at stake here um you know not just to have like a hot take on it like right away based on your kind of prior assumptions but you know why is that well i don't like this because this person caused legitimate harm or i do think this is important because this person or event had a very strong connection to our community my community and I, another thing that I like about hearing this is it's such a good like intersection of something where kids have some background knowledge, but don't have particular knowledge with something they can easily identify from their actual life. Like they've been to this park. And I can almost see even having the conversations, you know, you might have positive, they probably have positive associations with the park, it sounds like. 
And so then those get transferred to the name. But if it was named something else, you know, they can, you know, the, the high school youth can wrap their mind around the fact that if it had been named something else, they just would have had a positive association with that. So it right. seems like a really kind of rich, rich topic. Did the kids produce, like, what did the kids produce then in terms of? Well, I, um, the lesson I also kind of stole the framework of um, Harvard's case method uh, lesson plan style. So I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes too, but um, they've been really ramping up their training for this. So Harvard has, uh, it's called a case method institute and they put on trainings every couple months. And what they offer to teachers is you know, training in how uh, Harvard does, uh, Harvard professors run a case study lesson. So I did that a, a few years back um, and then Harvard shares all sorts of lessons that they're, their history professors use in their case studies. So I was kind of familiar with how those lessons worked and I thought that that framing might work well uh, for this lesson. So essentially in a, in a case study lesson, you would give your, give your students a case study, which is usually like a secondary source. And um, you know, for a Harvard student, it's gonna be a little bit longer. It'd be like maybe a, the length of a chapter of a book, uh, you know, but for, for my, you, you, they're not too difficult to make on your own. You, you can kind of collect readings and, and uh, give students time to do the reading. Usually you give them the discussion questions you're gonna talk about in advance. Um, you might hold back a few extra questions that you kind of can use uh, on the day of the discussion, but you're gonna share you know, three to five to seven questions with them advance here's here's the things i want to discuss and then you're going to grade the discussion um so you're so you're not collecting a handout which means you know there's less incentive for students to be like well, i'll just copy my neighbor <laughs> or right. i'll just find a friend in the class who did the worksheet and i'll just copy their notes so right, right you you explain to kids well in advance that this is going to be a graded discussion i'm going to grade you on participation and, and you my make all the accommodations for you know students who are absent and students who are um, right you know, this is a... now are your students my students are fairly used to those kinds of things now like more yeah. than they used to be like i feel like our english department at least does more of those kinds of socratic seminars they right. might call it or sort of a a scored discussion that that culminates like some research where the kids come in prepared it used yep. to be when i would do that in like in my ap classes kids this would that'd be like a new experience but now when i do something like that in my classes they're kind of used to that yeah is that oh, i'm just sort of curious i feel like that's a trend but yeah i, I uh you know and, and so i guess the case method started as like a, a thing for normally grad school students harvard has rolled it out for undergraduate students they found the classes to be popular so they offered these trainings to high school teachers thinking that this lesson would be this, this uh, framework would probably work well with AP students. It has worked well with my AP students, but th this uh, race, ethnicity, civil rights class that I tried this out in, um, these are, a lot of them are not uh, kids who have never taken an AP class before or don't want to, you know, these are um, just mainstream kids and and it worked well for them. Like they, uh, you know, by, by the time we did the lesson, the class had built up a pretty good rapport with each other and, and students felt comfortable sharing opinions they trusted me that you know that i could lead a discussion and, sure yeah it wouldn't be the kind of thing you'd want to do like week one right 
Yeah. Because it, it does have the chance to become, you know, there's always the chance that things will, yeah. will get heated. And, and that can be okay if the teacher's able to redirect and like, yeah. hey, no, those are real emotions and stuff. You just don't want, you want right. to know the kid, like you or like I, the teacher, want to know the kids a little bit as exactly. people before we dive into something that, you know, where they might kind of, yeah. um, dysregulate a little bit yeah so that was my that was my one big victory i think from this last year as i tried yeah. a new uh new lesson and i think i'll i'll keep it i going mean the with the year that was last year i mean that is that's that's big i think yeah. because you can apply this to lots of things because you have these sort of criteria um kind of for looking for those sort of local things would you see yourself doing like this twice in any given class or is it sort of like uh well we've kind of used these things and obviously you have this really appropriate local example i, th I think it could be it worked out that way it's certainly i i mean i've done like i, I did more than one case study discussion with this class sure. i did a lot more with the ap class um so they're very used to just the the type of lesson that mm -hmm. is um and, so, and you could bring the, this framework to bear on if you're just teaching a U.S. history survey, a world history survey, if you want to come up with, you know, how could we we have this controversial figure? Um, what is a mature way that we could discuss the, the legacy of this person uh, in class? I think using these criteria allow you to do that. So it's very adaptable yeah. to you could use it for local issues, but you could also use it for broad national discussions we're having about national figures, too. Yeah. So it sounds like your students would have seen this as just another case study, as opposed to now we're doing this thing with these seven criteria. Like that was just the format that you used as part of like a right. sort of ongoing thing. Right. You know, in, in terms of world history, I guess the, the, the first idea that would come to my mind would be Columbus. Um, 1992 was actually happened during my uh, second year of teaching. And I was teaching U.S. history in California. And so, you know, there was like, you know, um, quincentenary stuff everywhere and controversy and, and that. So I, I have had kids uh, dive into that, but in, uh, in a much less sophisticated way, I would say. But one thing I found teaching world history now is kids come in. There's more kids. A lot of kids come in and very anti-Columbus. And you almost have to like. I kind of nudge those kids too and it, well you know, we should all be nudging everybody but there's just the the balance the center of the debate in my classes i would say like that has shifted but then i think bringing in criteria like this are, are interesting because then you can see what's the local connection well you know as a lot of history teachers know now but students don't know as much you know those columbus statues were you know italian american advocacy in a lot of cases that's true here in minnesota for the statue it got ripped down at the at the Capitol. So, well, that, this kind of makes it a little different. But is that actually a local connection? I, mean, I don't. Right. Yeah. It's, so the framework forces you to research the context of the naming. You know, when was this thing named uh, after this person? Who who decided this? Why did they make the decision that they made? So, in developing this lesson, I had to I had to do some digging on that too, and. and I learned a lot in doing that. And I think that that was probably the part that the, like 
kids expressed the most level of surprise about was, oh, this is why it was named that. And, and so, you know, they were, they, were, they were interested, I think, to, to find that local connection. And this would be a good way to partner if, if someone's developing something like this, to partner with those local historical societies, those county historical societies that are yeah. often very eager to be involved, but not really sure how. And then history teachers were often excited about the idea of local history, but not really sure how to incorporate that. And of course, we all have too many standards to cover. Yes. And so the whole thing gets lost. But then if you really had something where the context could be the broader topic you're talking about. Right. You know, like in, you know, the U.S., American Indian, you know, conflict removal and stuff like that. Well, that's a big topic in U.S. history. Well, okay, here's a local example of that. How does yes. it look? Yeah. So that should, that, that kind of wraps it up. And uh, we hope, we hope you can uh, steal that idea, steal that framework. Again, uh, the New Orleans Commission framework is linked into the uh, show notes and, and you can explore that and think about how you can adapt that to your local issue. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And I, th I think that'll be useful for a lot of folks, both in an ethnic studies branded course or labeled course or in a regular history course. So look forward to trying that out. And I'm really excited for History Fest and hoping to see some, some looking forward to seeing some new and old friends there. Yeah. If you're listening to this prior to August 11th, well, hope, hopefully we'll see you in St. Paul. If you're listening after August 11th, hey, uh, keep an eye out for, for History Fest in a future summer. So, mm -hmm. And this will be live at the History Center, right, Matt? Yes, St. Paul, Minnesota Historical Society History Center. Collections tours? Can't think of a better place. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and we we'll get to hang one. out with history nerds all day. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, it's going to be. It's one, of my, it's one of my favorite days of the year. All right. Well, so that's uh, that's all for now. I'm Eric Beckman. Thanks and a lot, I'm Matt. Matt. Moore. And we'll see you next time.